Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Dr. Anthony Fauci being confronted by a D.C. resident about the COVID vaccine. Clips from 2021 are now going viral, showing the doctor going door to door, trying to encourage more people to become vaccinated. Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw was in the hot seat yesterday. State senators are demanding answers on who approved the chemical burn and other questions. Barricades are up around the Manhattan Criminal Court and Trump Tower. Is the probe into former President Trump involving alleged hush money a political stunt? What does the law say about the charges? We bring you legal analysis. On the second day of Chinese leader Xi Jinping's visit to Moscow, he invites President Putin for a visit to China. It's a show of support as the two begin formal talks. Clips of Dr. Anthony Fauci and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser are circulating online. The two were confronted about the COVID vaccine while going door to door trying to promote the shot. PBS is doing a documentary about Dr. Anthony Fauci. They filmed Fauci and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser visiting people in a historically African-American neighborhood, trying to get more people to get the COVID vaccine. The video was taken in June of 2021. People in America are not settled with the information that's been given to us right now. So I'm not going to be lining up taking a shot on a vaccination for something that wasn't clear in the first place. And then you all create a shot in miraculous time. It takes years to create vaccination. Fauci defended the research into the vaccines, suggesting mRNA vaccination technology took 20 years to perfect. Bowser then said people can help their community by taking the vaccine. The only reason I'm talking to you right now, as close as we are, is that I've been vaccinated. Right. But if it allows thousands of people like you don't get vaccinated, you're going to let this virus continue to percolate in this country and in this world. Something like the common flu then, right? Local governments around the nation gave people incentives, in some cases even money, to get the vaccine at that time. The unnamed man from the clip suggested that the incentives raise suspicions on why the government is pushing for people to get the vaccine. In a different clip, Fauci was heard denigrating Republican-led states in a conversation with Bowser. Those states often had lower vaccination rates. They're not doing it because they say they don't want to do it. They're Republicans. They don't like to be told what to do. And we got to break that, you know, unpack that. In the same clip, Fauci said the chances for vaccinated individuals to get COVID is very, very rare. Government officials and pharmaceutical companies would later pivot away from the claiming that COVID vaccines prevent transmission of the virus. The PBS documentary on Fauci is set to premiere on Tuesday. Americans will soon be able to see intelligence regarding the origins of the COVID-19 virus. President Biden signed a bill that declassifies the information yesterday. Here's the story. President Biden on Monday signed the COVID-19 Origin Act of 2023. It's a bill that mandates the declassification of COVID origin-related intelligence. Here's what the White House said about the bill earlier this month. The first few months of the president's administration, he uh, he, uh, he came into office, he directed the intelligence community to de- declassify information, uh, assessing or, uh, COVID origins, and to make that report uh, public to, uh, to, to Americans' people, to the American people, because we know and he understands how important it is to get to the bottom of COVID oranges. We will, origins. We will continue to use every tool to figure out what happened here uh, while also protecting uh, classified information. 
Biden said in a statement Monday, quote, We need to get to the bottom of COVID-19's origins to help ensure we can better prevent future pandemics. My administration will continue to review all classified information related to COVID-19's origins, including potential links to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Both the House and Senate unanimously passed the bill earlier this month. Republican Senators Josh Hawley and Mike Braun introduced the bill. Here's Hawley speaking to Fox News on March 1st. Listen, the American people, it, it's past time. Let's yeah. show them what the government has. Let everybody see for themselves. Let everybody read it. At the center of contention is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. U.S. health agencies were found to have funneled federal money to the lab via a New York nonprofit, EcoHealth Alliance. Experts say that some of this funding aided gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. The debate over virus origins came back to the surface again recently. This is after the Energy Department concluded that a lab leak is the most likely source of the pandemic. The FBI also reached the same conclusion. A rare fungal disease is spreading in the U.S., Candida auris. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says it's increasingly drug-resistant and presents a, quote, serious global health threat. Health officials say it's easily spread through contact with contaminated surfaces or from person to person. It can cause severe illness in hospitalized patients and those with weakened immune systems. Data from a limited number of patients shows that 30 to 60 percent of people diagnosed with the fungal disease have died. But healthy people typically don't catch it in the first place. The CDC said it's concerned about the disease for three main reasons. It seems to be resistant to multiple drugs, it's hard to identify using standard methods, and it has rapidly caused outbreaks in healthcare settings. Now on to the Manhattan DA's investigation into former President Trump. A reporter in Jason Perry was on location outside the courthouse in Manhattan. Let's take a look. I'm here right outside of the courthouse in Manhattan, and as you can see, barricades have been put up around the courthouse, and I've seen several NYPD officers patrolling the area. It appears the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is now closing in on a decision whether or not to indict former President Donald Trump. The reason would be for an alleged hush money payment made in 2016 to pornographic actress Stormy Daniels. Trump denies those allegations. Trump has called for people to protest, while others, such as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, has asked people not to protest. So what will happen today? A source close to the Trump legal team told CNN that if Trump is indicted, they do not expect any arrest or appearance in court to happen before next week. And Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg will have some explaining to do. The House Judiciary Committee on Monday ordered Bragg to testify. The committee told Bragg that his apparent decision to pursue criminal charges where federal authorities declined to do so requires oversight. And they also asked for a number of documents related to the case. Trump is leading in many of the polls to become the next president of the United States. So some people are calling this investigation politically motivated. Well, that's all we have for now. Attorney Robert Costello testified before grand jurors in the case yesterday. Costello was a former legal advisor to ex-Trump lawyer Michael Cohen. He says Cohen can't be trusted. He had in hand over 300 business records in the form of emails that he says can show that. Here's what Costello had to say about Cohen's credibility after his testimony yesterday. The only thing I'm doing is trying to tell the truth to the grand jurors because I read all these lies in the, in the media that are being promoted by one side. If you see the full picture, you know, listen, if they want to go after Donald Trump and they have solid evidence, so be it. But Michael Cohn is far from solid evidence. This guy, by any prosecutor's standard, and I used to be deputy chief of the criminal division in the Southern District of New York, 
I wouldn't have touched a guy like Michael Cohen, especially if he's a convicted perjurer. Not to mention, as I said, the 50 to 100 lies he told us that are in those 330 emails. Costello says out of 321 emails, only six were shown to the grand jury for review and that they were cherry-picked and taken out of context. He says he was surprised that none of the jurors asked for the complete records that he brought in. Costello says when Cohen was his client, he was in a desperate state and was looking for a way out, and that Cohen told him at least 20 times he would do anything to stay out of jail. Now that Cohen has served time, Costello believes he's out for revenge. Costello testified that Cohen told him the payments to Stormy Daniels were made without Trump's knowledge and that Cohen said he took out a loan to get the money. And protesters gathered yesterday in New York outside the courthouse where prosecutors are wrapping up their investigation. It appears the grand jury in the case is hearing from its final witnesses. Members of the New York Young Republican Club protested yesterday. Gavin Wax, the president of the club, says he doesn't want to be there if Trump is arrested. He advised others to protest peacefully and to stay away from the court if it happens. Whatever it actually happens, it'll probably be a little bit of a zoo, so I would stay away. The American people realize that this is a witch hunt, and um, these charges have been in circulation since 2018. The fabric of our constitutional republic is more important than our political differences. These people don't care. They'll go after Trump. They'll arrest Trump because they want to stop him from restoring our country to what it was over the last number of years. We need a DA who's going to focus on doing the job and not weaponizing his office to pursue political persecutions that are neither wanted nor nor, uh, warranted. Former President Trump said he'll be arrested today, but with the jury not meeting today, the soonest he could be indicted is tomorrow. The NYPD is ready. They've set up barricades around the Manhattan Criminal Court and Trump Tower. The probe involves a $130,000 payment made to adult film star Stormy Daniels during Trump's 2016 campaign. We hear from an expert on the relevant law, concerns that the prosecution is a publicity stunt, and the broader implications if there is an indictment. Joining us for legal analysis is Mark Ruskin, a former assistant district attorney for Brooklyn. Mark is also a former FBI special agent. It's great to have you with us, Mark. Good to be here, Kevin. Thanks for inviting me. Legal analyst Alan Dershowitz says D.A. Bragg is coming after Trump using made-up laws. He questions Bragg's apparent attempt to elevate a case about falsifying records of attorney Michael Cohen's alleged hush money payment to Stormy Daniels from a misdemeanor to a felony by trying to tie it to a federal violation of campaign finance law. Is this what's happening in your view? Yeah, it appears that Bragg is trying to have a federal prosecution, even though he's a local municipal prosecutor. And uh, quite simply, criminal procedure does not allow for a local prosecutor to try a federal charge. So the uh, whole thing seems to be strung together on a theory which is not likely to hold forth. And what do you think the judge is going to do if that is the case? Well, ultimately, this is not going to go anywhere. Uh, We have to look at the rationale as to why it's being brought in the first place which is kind of questionable, and uh, what the expectations are. You know, is D.A. Bragg looking simply to garner publicity? Uh, I doubt he's really trying to uh, get a prosecution that leads to a conviction in the long run, because there are a number of procedural defects here. 
For example, the statute of limitations has in all likelihood expired. And the statute of limitations, is, which is to protect individuals accused of crimes, which happened way back when, when memories fade and witnesses get confused, it seems unlikely that uh, there's too many defects in this case for it to ever result in a, a conviction, at least a conviction which holds water and, and survives an appellate court. The statute of limitations may certainly play a role here, and I want to get back to publicity. Dershowitz also says that Bragg is just looking for an arrest and a perp walk and all the publicity that comes with it. And, you know, would benefit would this benefit Bragg, or would it backfire? And two, would an appeals court even let it stand if there ever was a conviction? Well, again, I, I think it's unlikely that the conviction would, would survive here. And, uh, you know, as to whether even there's a perp walk, I think that's even unlikely. I mean, there's probably going, all kinds of negotiation going on now between Trump's team and, and uh, the DA's office. And, uh, you know, while it might be the, uh, Bragg and his colleagues' dream to have such a, you know, quote-unquote perp walk, I think it's uh, unlikely to happen. Political leaders say if Trump is indicted, it will cause grave consequences for the nation's justice system and elections. What's your reaction to this? Yeah, no, I, I think that it, 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 will, it is founded on a, on a legal theory which is not going to hold water. I mean, it's a novel legal theory, and you don't try novel legal theories when you want to prosecute the former president of the, of the United States. So I, I think that uh, nothing is going to come of this, and it's not going to survive. Uh, it's certainly not going to survive an appeal if there even was a conviction, if it didn't ever reaches that far. There are going to be numerous motions for dismissal on a variety of legitimate grounds before it ever even would get to trial. And then even finding a jury pool that is unbiased would be a difficult uh, issue. So there probably would be, would be a need for a change of venue. That's what it's called when you switch the venue, the area where the case is being tried, to an, a different geographic area in order to find a, a jury that's, that's fair. But the, the likelihood it ever reaches that point is, is, is de minimis, as the lawyers say, which means very low. Yes, there are concerns about bias in that region. Mark Ruskin, former assistant district attorney for Brooklyn, so great to have your analysis today. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for inviting me. New testimony in the East Palestine train derailment aftermath. Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw faced in-depth questioning on the release and burn of vinyl chloride after the train wreck. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the report. The decision to burn the chemicals may have averted an explosion, but created additional health concerns. CEO Alan Shaw expressed deep regret for the impact the derailment had on the citizens of East Palestine, Ohio, and communities in western Pennsylvania. Norfolk Southern is here for the long haul, and we won't be finished until we make this right. At the March 20th hearing, Pennsylvania senators repeatedly asked Shaw about the events leading to the burn and release. State Senator Doug Mastriano found it hard to believe the local fire chief was in charge of making the decision to burn off the toxic chemicals. He asked Shaw who the final trigger man was, who said, we're going to do this. My understanding is, is that the Unified Command was aligned on this, and it was ultimately the decision of the incident commander and fire chief. So your cars are on fire, it's your rail, it's your incident, and you're going to leave it to a local fire chief who probably never had to deal with potentially such a catastrophe before. 
Shaw confirmed that the local fire chief was the ultimate decision maker. The testimony then moved to air quality and contamination. State Senator Katie Muth brought up various ailments such as skin rashes and breathing problems that some East Palestine residents have reported. We would strongly encourage those citizens to go visit, seek trusted medical attention. Shaw says Norfolk Southern will reimburse those visits and pay for the medical expenses if people visit them at the Norfolk Southern Family Assistance Center. So every person, every family would have all of their health care expenses completely covered if, if they were to, in five, ten, however many years it takes for these horrible carcinogenic things to happen, um, would be 100% covered, correct? Senator, um, we are in the process of working with relevant stakeholders. On so the terms aren't final yet? Yes, Senator. Okay, Correct. that's fine. Meanwhile, bipartisan cooperation has emerged in two federal bills introduced in the aftermath of the toxic train derailment. Ohio Representatives Bill Johnson, a Republican, and Democrat Amelia Sykes introduced the Reducing Accidents in Locomotives Act on March 17th. If passed and signed into law, the legislation would mandate new rail safety measures and charge financial penalties if railroads do not meet those requirements. That follows the Railway Safety Act of 2023, announced by Republican Senator J.D. Vance and Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown on March 1st. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, the Border Patrol chief says 1.5 million illegal immigrant gotaways have escaped into the United States since President Biden took office. And a White House reporter accuses the White House press secretary of discrimination while cameras are rolling. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Around 1.5 million illegal immigrants snuck across the border under President Biden's administration and still remain in the country. The Border Patrol chief testifies to Congress. Customs and Border Protection says almost 6 million illegal immigrants total entered and attempted to remain in the United States in 2021 and 2022. Of those, 4.4 million were captured by Border Patrol, but over 1.5 million evaded capture. Border Chief Raul L. Ortiz says that since October, there have been 385,000 more of these gotaways. But he also estimates the number could be between 10 and 20 percent higher to account for those who evaded tracking altogether. A federal court in Louisiana has denied a motion by the Biden administration in a big-tech federal government collusion case. The administration wanted the landmark case dismissed. The lawsuit alleges censorship of certain users and viewpoints related to COVID-19. The case is Missouri v. Biden. The states of Louisiana and Missouri claim social media companies carried out the censorship and that it was done at the direction of top Biden officials and federal government agencies. The suit also alleges that officials use coercive pressure. U.S. District, Attorney, U.S. District Judge Terry Doughty denied the Biden administration's motion to dismiss the case. Doughty says he was unpersuaded by some of the government's arguments, and he didn't buy the attempt to write off the alleged coercive threats as isolated episodes. The Supreme Court throws out a federal appeals court decision on abortion. It would have upheld the right of a minor to go to court for permission to pursue an abortion without notifying her parents. In the case, a pregnant minor visited her local courthouse to seek allowance for bypassing parental consent for an abortion. A Missouri courthouse office told her she couldn't file a bypass petition without notifying a parent. She got an abortion in Illinois after a court there authorized it, absent parental notification. 
She then filed a civil rights lawsuit in federal district court claiming the Missouri Courthouse Office petitioner violated her constitutional rights. The petitioner took the case to the Supreme Court. Both sides ultimately agreed that the Supreme Court case should be dismissed. That's in light of the recent landmark ruling the Supreme Court made on striking down previous abortion decisions. The White House press briefing had a rocky start Monday when a reporter interrupted to complain he was being ignored. Okay. No, 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 before you begin, this. I would We're like to request, I would like to request that you We're call on this. everyone from across the room. You've been discriminating against me and discriminating against some people in the briefing room. And I'm saying that this is the U.S., this is not China, this is not Russia. Today, News Africa founder Simon Atiba accused Jean-Pierre of discrimination and avoiding calling on him. He says she shouldn't ignore him just because she doesn't agree with his questions. Quite a few reporters from other publications scolded him and repeatedly tried to quiet him. Atiba told the press secretary that she is making a mockery of the First Amendment. Just weeks ago, Atiba's renewal application to be in the press room was rejected. After the situation calmed down, Jean-Pierre did not respond to Atiba's allegations against her, but said she will not allow him to disrespect his colleagues and disrespect White House guests. She threatened to end the hearing if Atiba kept talking. A Rhode Island school district has allegedly refused to allow a Christian club to hold after-school meetings on school property. Now it's being sued in federal court. The Child Evangelism Fellowship of Rhode Island is bringing the suit. It has repeatedly asked for permission for its Good News Club to meet at school once a week. According to the complaint, the Providence Public School District has ignored multiple applications for a period of two years. But the group claims the school district has been approving applications by other student groups, such as the Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, and the YMCA the whole time. The case was filed last week in the U.S. District Court for the District of Rhode Island. Is the National Basketball Association a foreign agent? A conservative legal group calls on the Justice Department to require the NBA and its commissioner, Adam Silver, to register as foreign agents. The America First Legal Foundation points to the Foreign Agents Registration Act. The law requires those who advocate on behalf of a foreign country to register. The group alleges the NBA is acting to promote the interests of the Chinese Communist Party. The Legal Foundation's senior counselor wrote that billions of dollars worth of business goes on between the NBA and China and that the NBA works in the interest of the Communist Party in exchange for market access. He points to instances where the Chinese Minister of Foreign Affairs was given publicity during Washington Wizards games. Weather conditions in South Dakota caused slick roads last week. Just take a look at Interstate 90 near Sioux Falls. A semi-truck nearly flattened a highway patrol cruiser. The truck driver lost control and slammed into the vehicle. The trooper was stopped on the side to control traffic after an earlier crash. We don't have details on whether the trooper or driver were hurt. But according to the Highway Patrol's Facebook page, the injuries were only minor. Highway Patrol warns against traveling during poor weather conditions. They responded to several crashes on Thursday because of the wind and snow. You may want to check your freezers. Scenic Fruit Company is recalling frozen fruit due to a potential hepatitis A contamination. The company says one of the products being recalled is the organic tropical fruit blend that is sold nationwide at Trader Joe's due to an outbreak of hepatitis A illness. Also being recalled are frozen organic strawberries that were sold under five different brand names, including Costco's, Kirkland Signature, and Aldi's Simply Nature brand. 
Those products were distributed in several states. According to the FDA, hepatitis A is a contagious liver disease that results from exposure to the hepatitis A virus. Symptoms include fatigue, jaundice, and abdominal pain. The CDC says five people have been infected with hepatitis after eating frozen organic strawberries, including two who were hospitalized. No deaths have been reported. Consumers are urged to throw away or return the product to the store for a full refund. And just ahead, a closer look at TikTok's lesser-known sibling. Users say the video editing tool gives them better chances of going viral. That's as the app's Chinese parent faces global scrutiny. $3 billion in bailout money is headed to Sri Lanka to help the country survive during its worst economic crisis in seven decades. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. The second day of Chinese leader Xi Jinping's high-profile visit to Moscow. The two sides kicked off their official talks in the Kremlin. The talks are expected to focus on the war in Ukraine and the deepening economic ties between Russia and China. Xi has invited Russian President Vladimir Putin for a visit to China this year. The invitation marks a further show of support after the International Criminal Court issued a war crimes arrest warrant for Putin. China Xi also called for regular meetings between the Chinese premier and the Russian prime minister. The White House has accused Xi of providing, quote, diplomatic cover for the Russian leader. Xi and Putin held a four and a half hour meeting Monday addressing each other as dear friends. In related news, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida plans to meet with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in Kyiv. The Japanese Prime Minister is expected to voice support and solidarity with Ukraine following the invasion by Russian forces more than a year ago. Japan will host a G7 summit in Hiroshima in May. Kishida says the summit should demonstrate a strong will to uphold international order and the rule of law in response to the Ukraine war. Senator Josh Hawley wants to put an end to China's so-called sweetheart trade status. The senator is introducing a bill today that would cancel the country's most favored nation status within two years. The proposal would also allow higher tariffs on Chinese imports. Hawley says China's privileged trade status has played a role in the loss of nearly four million good manufacturing jobs. He says the lost jobs in some communities have resulted in fewer people marrying, as well as more addiction, divorce, and suicide. The senator says policies that weaken working men and women in America and make the CCP rich must be repealed. With TikTok in the spotlight because of surging popularity paired with data security concerns, another app is getting some attention, and it's owned by the same Chinese parent company. Entity's Tiffany Meyer has more. Lawmakers around the globe are taking aim at TikTok, but another app could soon be making waves, and it's TikTok's lesser-known sibling. CapCut is among the hottest apps in the U.S. right now, and it's owned by TikTok's Chinese parent, ByteDance. The free video editing tool simplifies making content and memes for social media, offering templates, filters, and visual and audio effects. Users say the polished videos it creates are more likely to go viral on platforms like TikTok, Meta, Instagram, and YouTube. And that popularity shows, with CapCut boasting more downloads in recent weeks than TikTok and more than 200 million monthly active users. 
CapCut brings in revenue from subscriptions and advertising, as well as charging users for cloud storage and certain extra features. It's less of a moneymaker for ByteDance than TikTok. Instead, its job is to grow popularity for the company. Despite the app's impressive growth, the global climate for Chinese-owned apps is turning hostile. TikTok is already banned in India, along with TikTok, Shine, WeChat and Viva Video. While the U.S., EU, Canada and Taiwan have outlawed the app from government-managed devices. That's largely over concerns that the app's global user data could end up in Beijing's hands. CapCut says it stores data in the U.S. and Singapore, the same as TikTok claims to. But as of now, CapCut has avoided the hot seat over its data handling. Google has suspended Chinese shopping app Pinduoduo. A Google spokesperson said today that malware issues were found on the platform. The spokesperson added that the Google Play version of the app has been suspended over security concerns. Google Play Protect scans all of the apps on Android phones and works to prevent the installation of malicious apps. Google's move follows efforts by the U.S. government to increase its cyber defenses. That's amidst an increase in hacking and digital crime targeting the country. The White House recently named China and Russia as the biggest cybersecurity threats to the United States. An American aircraft carrier is docked for a four-day visit in Manila, Philippines. The USS America just completed a joint exercise with the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force. The nearly 850-foot-long assault carrier can accommodate more than 3,000 sailors and Marines. The commanding officer, Captain Shaki Snyder, said the visit is part of a normal spring patrol the ship conducts each year. He also spoke of a greater purpose to the visit. Any Navy, uh, any of the U.S. naval ships uh, are free to operate uh, anywhere in international waters. Um, and we do that so the, the waters can remain free for all countries to use. It's the first time the vessel has docked in Manila to rest and recuperate. It's scheduled to leave on Thursday. According to Snyder, no deployment with the armed forces of the Philippines is planned. Vietnamese officials are calling it the largest seizure of wildlife products in years. Authorities yesterday seized over seven tons of ivory smuggled from Angola. Customs authorities found the ivory hidden in a container declared to customs as peanuts. The discovery follows the finding of more than 1,300 pounds of African ivory last month. Trade in ivory is illegal in Vietnam, but wildlife trafficking remains widespread. Other items often smuggled into the country include rhino horns and tiger carcasses. Last month, a court in Vietnam sentenced a man to 13 years in prison for trafficking nearly 10 tons of endangered animal parts from Africa. Turning to a nearly $3 billion bailout for Sri Lanka. The International Monetary Fund approved the funding on Monday. The first $330 million is set to arrive within the next two days. The island is in its worst financial crisis in seven decades. That's due to economic mismanagement, along with the impact of COVID. The office of the country's president said the program will allow access of up to $7 billion in overall funding. However, the IMF funding will not immediately help millions of Sri Lankans. They are being squeezed by a soaring cost of living, income taxes of up to 36 percent, and a 66 percent increase in the cost of electricity. Half of the families in Sri Lanka have been forced to reduce what they feed their children, according to NGO Save the Children. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. 
Still to come, French President Emmanuel Macron has survived a no-confidence vote over his pension reform. And the emergency takeover of banking giant Credit Suisse has seen central banks racing to stabilize the sector. More shortly here at NTD News Today. In France, with only nine votes short, the parliament has rejected a no-confidence vote against the government. President Macron used special constitutional powers to force through an unpopular pension reform bill. Now, unions have called for more protests, and there might be political consequences for the president. Entity's France correspondent David Vives has more. As French lawmakers were voting on a no-confidence motion on Monday against the government, Parliament saw heavy police presence. Police has blocked off the bridge and shut down a couple subway stations to try to keep protesters away. Dozens of police cars are moving through the capital to prevent demonstrators from gathering. According to a recent poll, 74% of French want the government to resign. Despite the pressure from the street, center-right MPs sided with Macron's allies to reject the no-confidence vote, preventing leftist and nationalist parties from ousting the government. A lawmaker from the Republicans blamed them for joining forces. Such a level of cynicism is no longer acceptable. I feel that, from both sides, they are playing a risky game when it comes to the principles of our democracy. A hard-left lawmaker said the president gave them no other option. If the president has decided that democracy no longer suffices, well then, we say here, along with the entire NUPES coalition, that we won't give up and that with all those who continue to fight in the country, we will use all means we have available to us to achieve the withdrawal of the pension reform bill. A successful no-confidence vote would have fallen the government and killed the legislation, which is set to raise the retirement age by two years to 64. President Macron then might have dissolved the National Assembly leading to new parliamentary elections. Though the no-confidence motion was rejected, the president might still decide to go down this route. Without a majority in parliament, it's likely many government bills won't pass, leaving no choice to Macron. Elisabeth Bourne could also decide to resign as prime minister. She called out the heated debate. These are lawmakers who are denying their role in Parliament and are claiming that the streets are more legitimate than the institutions. Dear deputies, this behaviour is gravely wrong. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Swiss bank UBS is buying its former rival Credit Suisse in an emergency takeover. The collapse of Credit Suisse and recent turmoil in the banking sector has left the market on edge, fearing a repeat of the 2008 financial crash. Entity's Malcolm Hudson spoke to a financial consultant who says central banks want to be ahead of the curve to prevent a catastrophe. Credit Suisse was considered one of the top 30 most important banks in the world. But now the Swiss bank has failed, it will be bought by its former rival, UBS, in a rescue takeover. And to speed up the sale, the Swiss government is planning to change the law to bypass a shareholder vote on the acquisition. Patrick Reed, a co-founder of a foreign exchange consultancy firm, said the alternative would have been catastrophic. To be honest, um there was no other solution if, if they were allowed to, to fail. Um, the consequences uh, would be catastrophic, not just in 
in the Swiss banking sector, but also further afield. Um, let's not forget we live in a globalized economy and um, where every bank uh, is interconnected. UBS will buy Credit Suisse for around £2.6 billion. It's touted as a commercial solution rather than a bailout. But there are concerns Credit Suisse's collapse will spread to other banks. Two mid-sized banks in the United States have previously already failed. It's feared this could turn into a repeat of the 2008 crash. Reid said large banks around the world are tightening their belts and not making risky investments. The problem is when you have a crisis, you actually don't know where the pebble is that causes the avalanche. And, you know, you saw this action from, from the announcement yesterday. These central banks globally are, are really desperate and wanting to get ahead of the curve just in case. It would be a rather just in case than, than having uh, get them getting behind the curve and, and trying to clear up the mess um, after the fact. So, so that's really where we stand right now. Some job losses are expected for Credit Suisse's UK branch, which employs around 5,500 people, particularly on the high-risk investment side. In the face of the turmoil, the Bank of England said the UK banking system is safe and sound. Reid said there won't be any direct effect on the UK banking system right now, but that central banks are in a tight spot. I would say you've got the Bank of England in a very difficult spot. You've got them wanting to fight inflation with higher interest rates, but then you've got an acknowledgement, similar to the ECB did last week, you've got this acknowledgement that they don't want to tighten too quickly too soon um, because they don't want to really stunt and kill the patient. So it's going to be a very difficult time for all central banks, including the Bank of England. Reid said the market is slowly digesting the effects of the recent banking turmoil. Bank stocks and treasury bonds have fallen in value. On top of this, Reid said there are question marks around some small banks and even some larger banks that have had challenges and problems like Credit Suisse. That means this year could bring a lot of volatility. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News London. In the UK, members of a rail union have voted overwhelmingly to accept an offer to end the long-running dispute over pay, jobs and conditions. Members voted by 76% in favor, signaling an end to the bitter row that led to a series of strikes. The union said the deal included increasing salaries between 9% and 14%, as well as more back pay and a promise of no compulsory redundancy until January 2025. The union general secretary Mick Lynch declared the dispute with Network Rail to be over, but the union remains in dispute with train operators and is planning two more strikes next week. The disruption would be on a smaller scale as maintenance and signaling staff are not involved. The Italian police have seized a batch of illegal drugs with special decorations on their wrapping. Printed on their packaging were the faces of notorious mafia bosses. The seizure took place at a warehouse in western Sicily. Police found more than $200,000 worth of drugs. Among them, several bags of marijuana were wrapped in cellophane, bearing pictures of mafia bosses in the region. One of them had been the highest profile fugitive from the Sicilian Mafia. Another, known as the Boss of Bosses, died in prison in 2017. Both men were sentenced to multiple life sentences for a series of brutal murders. And coming up, the average price for prime ski properties in the Alps is up by nearly 6%. Find out what's impacting the healthy market. 
and European tourism is suffering under a lack of Chinese tourists. Tour operators anticipated more tourists from China after COVID restrictions lightened. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. Some archaeologists say they've found what might be the oldest pearling town in the Persian Gulf. The remains of it span 30 acres on Sinia Island in the United Arab Emirates. The Regional Tourism Department says diving to recover pearls has been part of the area's history for thousands of years and that this is the largest surviving urbanized settlement in the UAE. Researchers say it could date back to the late 6th century predating Islam. In fact, the town is near an ancient monastery, and the archaeologists say the residents likely were Christians. Experts say those residents built their houses from local beach rocks and palm trunks. Prime ski properties in the Alps can sell for millions of dollars. Morzine is one of the many French ski resorts popular with British visitors and property buyers. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on the market. A lack of ski properties for sale is affecting the market. Knight Frank's Ski Property Report examines the average price of a four-bedroom ski home across 23 markets. The average cost increased by 5.8% as of June 2022, up from 4.6% a year earlier. At the French ski resort Morzine, prices were up 9%. It's a summer and winter resort, so the English buyers love it. Uh, we have also a lot of French, Dutch, uh, many nationalities, but of course people from UK are, are important here. British seasonal workers historically form a large part of the workforce at French ski resorts, but Brexit is impacting this business model. Some say it's now harder to approve British seasonal employees. The process was almost a complete mess because it's still not set up correctly, it still doesn't work, there's quite a few... Um, kind of brick walls, it's hard to uh, get any information still, but we did, um, we did uh, yeah, take, uh, take some of the Brits on. But Brexit hasn't been a problem for British home buyers. A lot of other companies uh, decided to reduce their portfolio, um, reduce their team numbers, uh, but we insisted that we kept going as we were. We didn't reduce our marketing budget, for example, or the spend on our team, um, the, the amount of our time as well that we invested in the business. Ski resorts have spent the last few years at the mercy of the pandemic. For some, it's been a story of resilience. The market is really good. Despite uh, many uh, crises like COVID and like uh, uh, even Brexit, or the market is still very good. For many Brits, this year is the first normal ski season in three years. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Europe's hopes for a busy post-COVID tourist season are dimming. The head of a railway company in Switzerland is struggling after the expected influx of Chinese tourists did not materialize. Here's the story. Chinese tourists are staying closer to home and instead traveling to Hong Kong, Macau or Thailand. They are bogged down by visa restrictions and limited airline tickets to Europe, which in some cases are 80% more expensive than before the pandemic. During this period of Corona, it was quite a difficult time for us, for young railways. We had a few thousand Chinese tourists, but they're basically from Europe. Uh, 
by the way, there is a huge potential. We have 5 million Chinese living in Europe. And at the same time, we have Chinese, even uh, we had the last year, quite many Chinese from the United States visiting the Jungfriuch top of Europe. Kessler was excited for the return of Chinese tourists after COVID-19 restrictions were lifted late last year. But only one small group visited in February, and just a few larger groups are expected in May. Many European tour operators are disappointed by the lower-than-expected bookings from high-spending Chinese travelers. Before the pandemic, they would typically spend between $16 and $3,200 per person. The market is coming back very fast. Uh, and I learned in, in Asia, and especially in China, speed and efficiency is very important. That means we need a lot of flights. We need flight connections. From end of March, we have the flight connections already from Shanghai, to Zurich, but we need more connections. If are the connections there in the market, we will have a lot of Chinese tourists. Kessler is hoping groups from countries like the United States, South Korea and India can make up the shortfall. But he still anticipates that the amount of Chinese tourists will return to pre-pandemic levels this year. EU vessels won't be able to fish for snow crabs near the Arctic archipelago of Svalbard. This is a decision by the Norwegian Supreme Court in an effort to take control of natural resources in the Arctic. The ruling was issued for a case from 2019. The Latvian fishing company SIA Northstar applied to Norway for a license to fish for snow crabs. Norway denied the requests on the grounds that only Norwegian vessels can gain permission. But Northstar argued that it held the same right. The company cited a treaty from 1920. The pact granted Norway sovereignty over Svalbard Island, provided that other signatories could enter its territorial waters. Apart from snow crabs, the case also determines who has the right to explore for oil, minerals, and other resources in the area. It's a principal decision. It means that all sort of resources, that this, this interpretation will, will, uh, will affect uh, fisheries, will affect oil and gas, and all, all other resources. So it's not just the snow crab. It's a, it's a principal decision uh, amounting to all sorts of resources, actually, that, that, um, that exist or, or, or are in the, in the waters adjacent to, to Svalbard. If North Star had won this right, it would mean that other countries could also access the natural resources near Svalbard. While the Supreme Court's ruling marks the end of the fishing company's legal recourse, experts say a state can still bring a lawsuit against Norway. Still to come, scientists examine why some individuals with a family history of Alzheimer's never develop the disease. The research could lead to the development of better treatments. A life-and-death rescue in Greece for an abandoned tiger cub. Veterinarians are striving to keep the cub alive. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. An impressive light show over Northern California Friday. It might look like a scene from an end-of-days film about Earth's killing comets. But those aren't meteors from outer space. They're blazing chunks of communications equipment from the International Space Station, racing across the night sky at 17,000 miles per hour. The 700-pound communications antenna went into space in 2009. In February 2020, the ISS discarded the equipment. The debris orbited the Earth for a couple of years and finally got low enough to break apart and burn up. According to astrophysicist Jonathan McDowell, about 10% of such equipment might fall to Earth in small pieces, with the rest melting on the way down. 
NASA is ending a 15-year mission studying clouds at the edge of space due to battery issues. The spacecraft AIM, which stands for Aronomy of Ice in the Mesosphere, is no longer supporting operations. AIM's batteries began declining in 2019, but it was still able to send a significant amount of data. However, the continuing decline in battery power has left it unable to receive commands or collect data. AIM actually completed its original mission in 2009, but it was able to extend operations for several more years. NASA will monitor the spacecraft in the event that it is able to reboot and send a signal. Scientists have found a genetic marker for Alzheimer's, kind of. Some people born with it never developed the disease. Now researchers hope to figure out why. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on their work. Doug Whitney inherited a gene linked to Alzheimer's disease. His mother, brother, and generations of other relatives suffered early onset Alzheimer's. They were only 50 years old. My grandparents had uh, 14 children, and uh, 10 of those 14 ended up contracting uh, uh, Alzheimer's disease, early onset Alzheimer's. Yet Whitney is a healthy 73-year-old, and his mind is still sharp. Somehow, he escaped his genetic fate, an incredibly rare occurrence. The odds are about 98% that if you have that gene, you're going to get the disease, period. And uh, I guess that made me pretty special. <laughs> to scientists, these remarkable escapees didn't just get lucky. They offer an unprecedented opportunity to learn how the body may naturally resist Alzheimer's. Good job he is just extremely lucky or is it something more mechanistically that we can put a finger on and say we really think that it's this pathway that's allowed you to resist to be resilient to having the traces of the disease for so long. Whitney's DNA is being scrutinized for answers. If researchers can uncover and mimic whatever protects these escapees they could be able to develop better treatments. They might even come up with preventative therapies. On the left, we have Doug's scan. On the right, we have a scan from an individual that is cognitively impaired and has been um, demented for numbers of years. And in here, what you see is these areas that are darker on the scan have atrophied and, and they've filled with cerebral spinal fluid. The network's researchers are tracking about 600 members of families with multiple cases of Alzheimer's. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. You might not like the idea of aerobic exercise. Memories of Jane Fonda might not get you in the mood to move. I get it. So what other options do we have? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Aerobic exercise, also called cardio, is one of the best things you can do for your health. It can help control blood pressure, weight, boost bone health and more. Experts recommend at least 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity cardio exercise, but many don't. One of the first ways to make it more accessible is to think about the timing a little differently. That 150 minutes or 2.5 hours doesn't have to be done all at once. You don't even need to do 30 minutes 5 days weekly all at once. Doing 2 or 3 10 minute sessions per day can help you to reach the weekly target much more quickly. 
you can also think about moderate intensity a little differently. It may sound overwhelming, but it is not very demanding. You can identify moderate intensity with something called the torque test. You are at the right level if you are exercising hard enough to break a sweat but can still comfortably hold a conversation. Also, it's not all about jumping jacks and moving from side to side, lifting your knees and clapping. Consider brisk walks, hiking, dancing, doing housework, working in the garden, pickleball, walking on a treadmill, and swimming. A three-month-old white tiger dumped in a zoo trash can. Greek veterinarians are striving to save the victim of the illegal wildlife trade. The tiger cub was thin and dehydrated and in serious condition when it was found. X-rays showed a metal pin implanted in one of its hind legs. Late last month, a cleaning crew spotted the animal under a trash can in the zoo's parking lot. Surveillance video caught a car driving up to the dumpster the night before. Authorities are now tracking the license plate. Illegal wildlife trade is a billion-dollar business in Europe. Asia and Africa are common sources of illegally imported animals. First time ever we had such an animal dumped outside our zoo. I mean, we had a number of cases of uh, animal dumped, but in front of our door. But usually these are pets, abandoned pets. These are puppies or, or, or kittens or tortoises, some reptiles, some wounded birds, but a tiger, never. When I first saw the cub, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in front of me. I honestly couldn't believe that an animal was in such a state. I've read many reports of victims of the illegal wildlife trade, but until you see it in front of you, you cannot grasp the severity of the health issues it's faced with. It's very sad. Tigers are hard to care for because of their size, diet, and aggressiveness. Officials say if the tiger survives, they'll send it to another sanctuary since there are no other tigers at the Athens Zoo. International wildlife and animal welfare organizations are also in contact with the zoo to offer help. If you love the outdoors and don't mind interacting with the occasional bear, then a job might be waiting for you in New Mexico. The state's Department of Game and Fish posted a job on Facebook that says it's looking for professional bear huggers. The post includes photos showing workers cuddling baby bears. The agency is actually looking to hire conservation officers. Interactions with bears is only part of the job. The listing says the department is looking for someone who likes to hike in strenuous conditions, has the courage to crawl into a bear den, and will trust coworkers to keep them safe during the process. For those interested, applications end March 30th. A one-of-a-kind wedding photo shoot went viral on the internet. A couple chose the end of the world as their destination for the filming. The video was filmed in Patagonia, Chile. The area is known as the end of the world because Chile is the southernmost country on earth and Patagonia is the southernmost part of the country. The couple prefers to remain anonymous. They chose this region out of their passion for trekking. Photographer Andrea Enger guided the couple on their outdoor journey, and she witnessed them exchange vows in the breathtaking location. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.